0: Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. For the month of January, so last, last couple of months we've been going through the I Am statements of Jesus, but the month of January we're in a new series called 316 Timeless Truths. Um, And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four different chapter 3, verses 16s in the Bible. Um, Now, the Bible's an ancient text. It originally didn't have the system of chapters and verses. Um, The Hebrew text didn't even have vowels or spaces, but, you know. Um, (laughs) So, but for the Old Testament... It wasn't around until the 7th sort of to the 11th centuries that a group of Jewish scholars called the Masorites began to add a system of pronunciations and grammar and added paragraphs and verses. And for the New Testament, the chapters weren't added until sort of the early 13th century and the verses were beginning to be widely accepted by the mid sort of 16th century so it was several hundred years after the books were written that they were added so it's not as if they made a point to go all the 316s in the in the bible are going to be really significant it's actually just turned out that way but there are a ridiculously high number of chapter 3 verses 16 in both the old testament and the new testament that are quite profound let me just go through a couple of them 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Colossians 3:16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all the wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with palms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sorry, psalms, not palms, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to god wow okay first john chapter 316 we know love by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren revelation 316 so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold i will vomit you out of my mouth I'd considered doing that one. I might, I still, I don't know, I probably won't actually. <laughs> Joel 3:16. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth tremble. But the Lord is a refuge for the, his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. And obviously the most popular. John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but he have eternal life. There are more. I, I don't want to read all 50 of them. Not all 50 are that profound. But, um, but for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at some of them. I might do some of those. Um, I, I probably won't. There are more still to come. But the one that we're going to be in this morning is Second uh, Thessalonians, chapter three, verse 16 may the Lord of peace himself give you peace in every way the Lord be with all of you now just a brief note on the context of what Paul is saying here before we actually get into the the text that I want to talk about so the context here is actually really really important because it speaks to everybody in this room Paul isn't wishing the Thessalonians peace whilst being attacked from people outside of the church. But he's saying that one of the greatest dangers is the carelessness and laziness of people inside the church. These people, according to Paul, are behaving irresponsibly And they were unruly church members who were causing problems for everybody else. Now, let me just say this. When I picked this passage, I hadn't fully understood the context of what I was, I thought it was going to be just about peace and it was all going to be wonderful. I didn't realize it was going to be about church strife. I should have known, knowing Paul. So this is not a passage where I'm telling anybody off okay so if you think i'm talking to you about any of that right now that's a you thing or a god thing that's not a me thing okay i'm just letting you know i i I picked this passage a few weeks ago so believers have an obligation to hold one another accountable but we're not responsible to hold one another accountable to our own standards but the church has a responsibility to ensure its own purity by holding those accountable to f- who are failing to uphold and obey god's word this comes in two ways by exercising church discipline and by providing biblical instruction And it's in this context, with Paul knowing that dealing with unrepentant and disobedient church members, that that is extremely challenging. And in this context, he's praying for peace. So the question I want to ask this morning is, what is peace? Because most of us think we know or we think that it's something we should have, but have no idea how to get it. The thing is, what the world says and thinks what peace is is not what the Bible says what peace is. They aren't the same thing. In everyday society, when you mention the word peace, it can mean a variety of things. And it's often stated... That peace is the greatest and highest goal that everyone wants to achieve, personally and in society. Historically, peace has meant the absence of something. Mostly, it's meant the absence of war or conflict. The word peace is derived from the original Latin word pax, which means pact. It's like a control or an agreement to end war or a dispute or conflict between two people, two nations or sort of two warring antagonistic groups of people. But many scholars agree that peace should not simply be defined only in the context of that it's not war, that there should be more than that. Albert Einstein said that peace is not merely the absence of war, but the presence of justice, of law, of order, and in short, it's the presence of government. Martin Luther King Jr., there we go. I don't have a Steve Irwin quote, sorry, Um, said something similar that says, true peace is not merely the absence of tension, it is the presence of justice. The Dalai Lama said peace in in the sense of absence of war is of little value. Peace can only last where human rights are respected, where people are fed and where individuals and nations are free. And the definitions have evolved over the years about what peace is because obviously our ideals and our culture and context have changed. Peace for a more traditionally orientated culture is different for an individualistic orientated culture. We don't value them the same, we don't value peace the same way, we don't define it the same way. But that being said, peace is generally classified into two types internal peace and external peace. Internal peace is a state of calm or serenity of mind that arises due to having no sufferings or mental disturbances, such as worry, greed, desire, hatred, ill will, so on and so forth. Internal peace is peace with oneself. It is derived from practicing or training in the mind of the mind of an individual. External peace, on the other hand, is peace that is in society. Nations, the world, that sort of stuff. External peace can be described in a negative sense and in a positive sense. In the negative sense, external peace is the absence of war, hostility, agitation, like social injustice, social inequality, um, violent, you know, violation of human rights. So all the absence of those sorts of things, riots, ecological imbalances, that can be in the negative sense of what peace can be. In the positive sense, external peace can be a state of harmony, social justice, social equality, friendships, um, respect, human rights, ecological balance, all that sort of stuff. And it's said that both internal peace and external peace are interdependent. Each of us has internal peace Sorry, if each of us has internal peace, then that combines to add to external peace. And external peace has an important role in supporting an individual to get inner peace. Following the argument so far? Now, that sounds all good. And there's nothing wrong with these definitions. But the peace that the world is seeking and the peace that the Bible is talking about are not the same thing. For us to understand the peace that Paul is talking about in our passage today, we actually need to understand what it means for God's people to have peace. What is it? And how do we achieve it? There are two main words used in um, the Bible for peace. The Old Testament is shalom. And the New Testament in Greek is irene. I suck at Greek. That might not be the right pronunciation. Don't quote me verbatim. (laughs) Now, shalom, although often translated as peace, means something way more than that. It means completeness or soundness. It means wholeness or well-being. Irene has several meanings, but often it means quietness or rest, unity or wholeness. It means sereneness or calmness. Now, if you look at the meta-narrative of the Bible... The whole scope of the text, we find the creation narrative in Genesis chapter one verses uh, chapter one and two. And one author writes about Genesis chapter one and two, that God creates a paradise, a peaceable ontology of creation. It means that the world was created in peace for peace. Human sin, however, in Genesis chapter three, disrupts that peace. And what follows are long narratives of murder and warfare and every sinful deed describable. And peace is only regained through the life, death, resurrection and exaltation reign of Jesus that is only envisioned fully in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about peace. Shalom, in its various forms in the Old Testament, occurs around 250 times. Irene, in its various forms in the New Testament, occurs around 100 times. And it appears in every New Testament book of the Bible, except for 1 John. Now, 350 references to peace. We're going to be here till the middle of this year, if I went through them all. So we're not going to do that because there's too much to cover. But I think an understanding of Old Testament shalom will give us some central ideas about what peace actually is, because you can't have the New Testament without the Old Testament. It doesn't work in a vacuum. So some of the central ideas about peace in the Old Testament, about what shalom actually means. The first one is... The Lord will be the agent of peace and peace is relational. When there is peace in the Old Testament, it is either granted by Yahweh or because of human contact, sorry, human conduct within their relationship with Yahweh. Shalom is not a state in which you can achieve by yourself, but emanates from relationship. Often when peace is spoken about in the Old Testament, it is in relationship to words like love or loyalty or truth, grace, salvation, justice, blessing and righteousness. And none of these concepts can exist outside of relationship, either with another person or with God. The second central idea that helps us understand more about biblical peace is that those who act righteously according to the requirements of covenant will experience peace. If peace is relationship, then God's presence among his people is the essence of shalom. And the heart of Israel's relationship with God is covenant. Israel's disobedience broke covenant, and with that, the peace that existed between God and his people. And the result was extreme discontent, destruction, and eventually exile. But we need to remember, in the context of that, that that wasn't the end of their story. That even after and during exile, the covenant wasn't reliant on the people's obedience. When God made his covenant with Moses and, you know, you go through that story where he puts Moses in a sleep and he's spit all the animals. Moses doesn't walk through that to make covenant with God. But God walks through that to make covenant with man. God is responsible for covenant. And because it's God who maintains covenant, life with God is still possible after exile. But when the people did not act according to covenant, relationship with God was broken and peace could not be experienced. The third central idea from Old Testament Shalom. Those who depend on the Lord will experience peace, but the unjust won't. So those who remained in their wicked ways had no hope to experience peace. They cause people to suffer, And therefore, that is a break of relationship. And this in itself is a breaking of covenant. And people who act outside outside of covenant cannot experience the peace of God. And the last central point or central idea is that in the end, peace will reign. Books like Isaiah look to the future, where the servant of Yahweh brings righteousness to an unrighteous people. When there is a time that the Prince of Peace brings peace through servanthood, where wrongs will be made right. And the thing is, we don't like words like covenant and righteousness anymore. They're not something that's in our vocabulary. But when you became a Christian, you became a person of covenant. We are a covenant people. We have the righteousness of God. That is who we are. And the New Testament, because we think that these are Old Testament words, but the New Testament is either saturated with these words or with these concepts. Paul, in Romans chapter 2, verses 6 and 10. I I didn't give it to Derek, so just please listen along. He will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who who by patiently doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and indignation to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth, but are obeying unrighteousness. Affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first the Jew and also to the Greek, but glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first the Jew and also the Greek. The idea of being in covenant and seeking peace is not just an Old Testament idea, it is a New Testament idea as well. And there can be no peace for those who are outside the will of God. There are no peace. There is no peace for the wicked. So if you haven't heard it yet, let me say it again. God is the source of our peace the only source. The Lord came to sinful humankind, first the Jew and then to the Gentiles, desiring to enter into relationship with them. He established with them a covenant of peace and this peace was sealed with his presence. Participants were given perfect peace perfect shalom so long as they maintained right relationship with the lord the old testament anticipated the new testament confirmed god's peace will be mediated by a messiah peace with god came through the death and resurrection of jesus christ Peter declared to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 36, he sent the message to the sons of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Biblical peace is not something that we can create on our own. You cannot go to the top of a mountain and zen yourself into peace. That is not what biblical peace is. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And as I've said, God is the source of peace. And he can give us peace in three ways. The first way is peace with God. Through the fallen state of the human condition, we are separated from God. But Jesus restored our relationship when he took on our sins and died our death on the cross. He provided a path for reconciliation with God and now we are joined to God and we can fellowship with him. Jesus provided us to be able to have peace with others because Jesus is our peace with others. In Jesus, we have reconciliation with others. We can live in peace with them. We can have fellowship with one another. And we can live with others in unity and in one accord through the bonds of peace. He empowers us by his spirit to be peacemakers with our friends, with our family, with our neighbors, and with our foes. And the third thing that we can have peace with is ourselves Jesus is our peace within in him we are a new creation and he is making us whole and complete like him when trials come to tear us apart he is the peace and he is the peace that can keep us together now the question now remains is well yeah that's all good but that's all theory all this peace that you're talking about how do we get it because unless there's a practical element to how you actually get god's peace if going to a top of a mountain and being zen is not the answer then what actually is because other than otherwise it's just all theory So this past couple of weeks has possibly been some of the hardest I can remember. I've had several sleepless nights and often it's felt like I've actually been completely alone. It's been emotional, it's been exhausting and there have been moments honestly where I don't think I can do this anymore. That I'm not sure that I've got it in me to be able to do what I'm doing right now. That's how bad my last couple of weeks have been. I found it ironic that I've been, talk- I've been studying peace <laughs> while my professional and private worlds have been in absolute chaos. I can't remember a time where I have had several nights in a row where I haven't slept. But even when I haven't felt like it, even when it's the last thing that I want to do, go into my office, I shut my door, I read my Bible, I pray, I worship, or I simply just sit. And I'm just seeking the Lord's presence. And it's not to try and construct arguments about why I'm right and why they're wrong or whatever the case may be. But it's simply to seek the presence of the Lord. It's to check my heart. And the past two weeks, peace has only come to me when I've been doing that. We had a prayer night here on Wednesday night and there's no, well, there's no agenda. We don't all have a big group hug. It's just come before the Lord and just be as you are. And on Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday evening, for an hour and a half, in the midst of the chaos of my life, I was able to completely shed all of the things of this world, all the distractions and all of the troubles, because I was seeking the Lord's presence. And peace came. I felt lighter. I remember walking out of here going, whew. In the grand scheme of things, it's not a big deal. But then obviously by the time you get to your car, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> so you try not to pick it back up again. And then you go home or in your car and then you reseek seek the Lord. The situation that I'm going through at the moment hasn't resolved itself and it probably won't for a little while. But I trust God that he will be present in this situation. And he's not here just for me, but he's also there for everybody who's concerned about it. And in knowing that, and through prayer and building a relationship with him, I can have peace. And it's in prayer and building relationship with him that I seek relationship with those who I'm at odds with. And it I seek relationship still. Because these they're not no one's my enemy here. We're all family. We're all friends. So if you have if you don't have peace, but you want it you need to remember that you can't manufacture it on your own. It's only in the presence of God when we can give our cares and concerns to Him that He's able to do it because He is the author of peace. So if you don't have peace and you don't know how to become or get into the presence of the Lord... Our prayer team will be here to have a chat to you. Come down the front to talk to them if you need to. The peace of the world tells us that we um, need to have no conflict in order to have peace. The peace of God is to be able to have peace in the midst of that. They're actually very, very different. I had a little thing on my wall. Um, I've lost it now, I don't know, in a a move. It went somewhere. (laughs) And it used to be, and it used to say that in the storms of life, sometimes God calms the storm, but sometimes he allows the storms to rage and he calms his child. So in the midst of storms, of course we want the storms to stop. But the calmness that he can give us is through the presence of the Lord in our lives and our seeking after that. Let us pray.